Welcome to the divide with Mike and Corey. Hopefully our disagreements one day bring us all together. So stupid. So, so corny. And so I hope our disagreements bring us together. Yeah, I do. <laughs> This is the divide. So welcome everybody to a special edition of The Divide with Mike and Corey. We have a special guest on this beautiful Monday night. Dwight Gooding is joining us today. Doc, thank you so much. Let's, for those of you that don't know, and I can't even imagine anybody wouldn't know who Dwight Gooden is, but let's just let everybody, listeners at home know, uh, he is a four-time All-Star, and if my memory serves me correct, one of the youngest players to be elected to the All-Star team, three-time World Series champion in 86, 96, 2000. He won the NL Cy Young Award, pitching Triple uh, Crown as well, NL Rookie of the Year, Silver Slugger Award. He had the MLB Wins Leader in 1985, MLB ERA Leader in 1985, two-time strikeout leader. He pitched a no-hitter as a Yankee, I might add, and he is in the New York Mets Hall of Fame doc. Again, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Um, no, you know what's no. funny? You guys running off those stats make me feel good, and thanks for the kindness. But watch, I was watching the Mets a little earlier. The pitch is not doing too good. Now you guys got me thinking I maybe can pitch a little bit, but I don't I think have so. that, I have that in my notes. I was like, <laughs> I was like uh, we need a doctor or we just need Doc to pitch. I hear something. But yeah. actually, no, to be honest, the mountains look too far from me now. I go to Mets fantasy camp every year. Down in Port St. Lucie, normally it's in January, but it's in November this year because of COVID. Um, they pushed it back, but um, definitely can't pitch anymore. The mound's too far. It's like the older you get, the further the mound gets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe. I uh, trust me. We're we're getting old over here, and the the things I can't do are just they surprise me every day. So you, uh, let's jump right in, and and we'll get to the beginning of your career. Uh, when you were just there, there's no words to describe how amazing you played. But you real quick, you mentioned COVID, and we saw this funny thing last year where we had baseball games, but we had no stands. Now you play for all these different teams uh, in the Northeast, the Yankees and the Mets. So you you got to see some really good rivalries. Was there ever a moment last year where you were watching baseball and you kind of wished, like, man, what would it be like to pitch in a stadium with no fans? I def- it definitely crossed my mind because as a as a baseball fan that I am now and a former player, obviously, I just wanted baseball. So I was happy and I appreciate the guys going out there in, in Major League Baseball and the Players Union working something out where we can get baseball, even though it's only a couple of months. So for that, I was very happy. But then, like you just mentioned, I was thinking about how would that be pitching with no fans? It had to be hard on players because I know myself, the reception of my first year, my rookie year when I made the team, anytime I went to spring training, even though you have 5,000, 6,000 fans, it still was tough to get up for it because, you know, it wasn't the regular season and it wasn't the big crowds that you're normally accustomed to, you know, right. in big stadiums, whether it's your home stadium on the road. So to some of those guys, it had to feel more like an inter-squad game when you're playing against yourself or against your own teammates in spring training where there's no fans but just, you know, maybe your family members or something like that. So yeah. it definitely had to be tough, but I'm glad they got baseball in because I needed something, man. I didn't know how much I missed baseball until we didn't have baseball. So I was glad they got it in, but that had to be very difficult 
for those guys to go out there and play without fans. Because fans, whether you're home or away, they bring that energy. No matter what guys say, they bring the energy. Yeah, so you, you definitely feed off that. Yeah, we we were happy when baseball came back. I mean, we we were dying for it. We were waiting for it. Yeah. Um, I I have a, a quick question. Uh, like, honestly, like, we're going to go. Corey's a Yankee fan. If you haven't noticed, I'm a huge Met fan. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I know you're a huge Jacob deGrom fan. Uh, yes. He, he's on the IL right now. You're the original must-see TV. Like, it was an event every time the doctor stepped foot on the mound. I, I grew up watching that. Um, so how is it as a fan now watching somebody else do that? Oh, great question. And thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate all the energy you guys gave me as a pitcher when I was going through that 84, 85, 86 seasons. Um, and Jacob does – bring that to me. Um, I mark my calendar when he's healthy every fifth day that he's pitching to watch him. And my day revolves around his schedule. Um, I have my food ready. I'm not much of a cook, whether it's wings or whatever, or I got the George Foreman grill going based on what he's pitches, whatever time he pitches, that's how my day goes and everything comes after that or before that. Um, unfortunately now he's hurt, but um, hopefully he gets back to pitching. I'm glad they put him on the, the um, IL um, just to get everything worked out. And hopefully once he comes back, he's there to stay because we definitely need him. Um, he makes everybody else's job a lot easier. And also, I think by watching Jake and listening to the fans, what they say, and now hearing fans say, that reminds us when you pitch, it gives me an idea what it must have like because I should try to think and understand what it must have been like when I hear that, when people tell me everything stopped when you pitch. We used to, you know, mark our day around you pitching. And now watching Jake, and by me doing that, now I get to understand a little bit what I brought to the table in 85. Yeah, it, it, it was something like nothing you could ever imagine in your life. And uh, it gave uh, the other half of New York hope. And, uh, you know, and then obviously as your career goes on, you end up now playing for the other side. And I remember in 2000, you're in the World Series we're in the World Series against essentially you. And I just kept praying as a kid, like, please don't let this guy even step foot on the mound. <laughs> so you were, you played, uh, you pitched during the playoffs. You didn't pitch during the Subway Series. Um, you know, but what, how did that feel for you? Like, what was that? Like, it, like it had to be bizarre, land, right? Yeah, it, it, was, it was tough because, you know, like you mentioned, growing up in the Mets organization, you know, coming through the farm system, obviously winning in 86 with a lot of guys that we came up together. And then going to the other side, it was different. Because um, growing up at a Met and being a Met, I actually hated the Yankees. Not literally, but, you know, it's still a team, like you said, on the other side of town, and you hate that team. And so, unfortunately, after the 94 season, the Mets wanted to cut ties. But I love New York. I love the fans. And I didn't want to leave on the note that I left on in, in, in 94 being suspended. And – Mr. Steinbrenner gave me an opportunity to join the Yankees and stay in New York. And that's all I could ask for. And I appreciate that. And I will always be thankful for the Yankees did, even though I'm always a man at heart. But getting an opportunity to stay in New York and play with the Yankees was a great feeling. And it was a little different. I remember the first time going to spring training and the first day putting on the Yankee uniform and a cap, being in the bathroom and just staring in the mirror for maybe five, ten minutes. I just couldn't get over me wearing the Yankee <laughs> uniform. Um but it worked out well. And then in 2000, being on the Yankees playing the Mets in the Royal Series, that was definitely 
definitely different and very strange. And it's funny because, like you said, you guys are Yankee and one of Met. Um, I have seven kids, so my older kids saw me with the Mets, and my younger kids saw me with the Yankees. So in 2000, even though with the Yankees playing against the Mets, my older kids still had on their Met gear at the games and still root for the Mets. And so it was, it was, it was fun, but it was definitely difficult. And it was different for me. Um, but the fans still gave me, you know, a great ovation when I took the field. And then even, I don't know if you guys remember when we had the day night double hitter in uh, 2000, where the day game was at Shea and the night game was at Yankee Stadium. Yes. And I pitched, a, I pitched a day game against the Mets at Shea. Um, the fans was great, and, and again, it felt weird coming from the visiting dugout and warming up in the visitors' bullpen and coming out of the dugout at Shea Stadium. But um, I'm happy the way things turned out. Um, like I said, I'm grateful for Mr. Steinbrenner and the Steinbrenner family for giving me an opportunity to stay in New York and, and just make it right and finish on a good note with the uh, with the New York fans. And now, and, and there, one of our listeners has a question. But before we go to that, I, I just want to kind of piggyback on this Yankee. Uh, theme that we're in right now. Now in 96, you had a little bit of a slow start to the season. You had to work on some things. Uh, you know, I think you shortened your wind up a little bit and then you had your no hitter on May 14th in 96 as the Yankee. And if a lot of people don't remember, it was against a really tough Seattle offensive team. Seattle, uh, didn't end up uh, even finishing in first in their division because pitching was their problem that year. But I remember, you know, you had guys like Rodriguez who won the Slugger Award that year, Ken Griffey Jr. So you you played against a team that led the league in doubles and RBIs and runs. What was going through your mind when you make all these changes and now you're in the middle of this no hitter? Like, let's take me through. Let's just say like sixth inning no hitter. What's going through your head? Oh man, you know you know I can. The thing about it, um, I don't know if you guys know the story, but my dad had been on dialysis for 15 years, and I was supposed to fly home that day that I pitched to be with him because he was having open heart surgery the next day. His health was deteriorating and the doctors felt that if he didn't have the surgery, he probably wouldn't make it a day or two. And if he did have the surgery because of his health, they're not sure if he'll make it through. So I had my plane ticket to fly home that day. But that morning I woke up, I thought, you know what? He would probably want me to pitch because all I can think of and re reminisce on was the days I spent with my dad at the Little League Park te teaching me drills, going to the Cincinnati Reds spring training games because in the 60s, 70s, they had spring training in Tampa where I grew up. And just, you know, being around my dad, talking baseball, talking about responsibilities and putting your work first and all these different things. And all these things were going through my mind. And Joe Torrey, who was the manager of the Yankees at the time, I called him and said, I'm not flying home. I'm coming in tonight. I'm going to pitch. And he said, no, go home. Take much time you need. We'll see you when you get back. I said, no, I'll see you tonight. I'm pitching. And the next call was to my mom who I felt real, real bad because she said, no, you got to be, you got to come home. Your dad is expecting you. You need the support. The family's here. Everybody's going to be here. You have to come home. And I end up hanging the phone up on my mom because I was just feeling bad that I wasn't coming home. And then, as you mentioned, going to the ballpark, um, it just felt weird that day and pitching against Seattle, who to me had the best hitting team in baseball at that time. And I remember the previous year being suspended in 95, watching the playoffs when Seattle knocked the Yankees out. I remember watching that, and now here I am facing Seattle. And the first couple of innings, all I can think about was my dad's situation. Is he going to make it through? Did I make the right decision? And then, as you mentioned, this come the sixth inning, I was looking at the scoreboard to see the hitters Seattle had coming up, and you see no runs, no hits, no errors. Your heart starts beating a little faster. You start getting a little anxiety kicks in. And I was able to put my dad's situation aside 
and concentrate on the game. And I remember going into that ninth inning, and the score was 2 nothing going into the ninth inning. And I remember walking two guys, and Mel Stoudemire come out to the pitcher's mound, and he said, Doc, how do, we, how do you feel? And I said, it doesn't matter. I'm not coming out. Because once you get that close, you just got to go for it. Mm-hmm. And plus, earlier that season, I started out 0-3, and, and I was actually benched. When a pitcher gets benched, I mean, you're not getting in the game if you're up 10 or down 10. But unfortunately, David Cohen got the aneurysm, and that's how I got back into the rotation. So all those things are going through my mind. And then I end up, you know, getting the last out. Paul Sorrento hit the pop-up to Derek Jeter, make the out. My teammates are carrying me off the field. And all I can think about is the previous year being out of baseball, um, the Mets want to cut ties, um, starting off 0-3, not knowing if you're going to get released or sunk down or what's going to happen. And now here I am pitching a no-hitter on the day I supposed to went home. Is my dad's going to be okay? And after the game, obviously, you, you know, you talk to the media. I didn't sleep. I took the first flight home the following day. I took my dad a ball from the game, went straight to the hospital. He had the surgery, but unfortunately, they said he saw the game, but unfortunately, he never made it home from the hospital. He ended up passing away. But the last game he saw me pitch was a no-hitter. So that made it that much special because you would have thought if I was going to pitch a no-hitter, it happened in the early 80s with the Mets. But it was just meant to be that time because it turned out the last game my dad got to see me pitch. Oh, wow. What a, sto- oh, what a story. That's beautiful. I, I lost my dad uh, younger in, in my life. And, uh, you know, so that definitely uh, brings it home for me. So that, yeah, he was definitely with you that night. And, uh, yeah. you know, and all, all of New York was. That was something that I'll never forget because, one, at that time, the Mets never had a no-hitter, right? And that yeah. was you were the guy that we dreamt of doing it. So one, I'm happy you got to experience that in your career, but also like I selfishly got to watch it. Even though you were in the, the pinstripes, the dreaded. <laughs> now no, let me. No, go ahead. You, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted. To, I remember you. You touched on David Cohn, and and you had the pleasure of actually playing with Coney on both the Mets side and the Yankees side as well. Now, there's, there's been rumors circulating with the Yankees not really doing too great and how they should clean house. And the latest I heard was they should just, um, you know, see if Cone is up for the job. See if Cone, get rid of Boone, see if Cone would be willing to manage. Do you have any, not insider information, but do you think that would be a position that, you know, maybe he would gravitate to knowing the type of person Coney is? Oh, man, Coney's an awesome guy, great baseball mind. And he helped me a lot when I made the transition from National League to American League when I joined the Yankees. He's one of my closest friends. And I think David could be one of those guys that do whatever he wants to do, whether it's, you know, managing, pitching coach, general manager, what have you. Uh, I was very shocked that he didn't get the pitching coach job before he gave it to, I think, the guy Blake from Michigan, who's mm-hmm. the pitching coach now with the Yankees. I thought Cohen was going to get that job. But I know now a lot of things about analytics. And for his manager job, I haven't heard anything about that. I like Aaron Boone. Um, I like to see him continue. I just like to see the Yankees get obviously get healthier and start being more consistent. Obviously, I still root for the Yankees, even though I'm mad at heart. And um, but for David Cohn, I think he could probably do anything or fit any role in, in baseball, whether it's managing, pitching coach, or general manager. He, he's very intelligent. He knows the game very well. He loves the game. He relates to people very well. Different personalities. He'll definitely be a good fit at any role that he chooses to do. Awesome. Awesome. Great advice. What do you have for the doctor? Anyway? Uh, so, yeah, my, my one thing, I want to bring it back to 86 real quick uh, and kind of bring it back to what's currently going on. 
So in 86, uh, you guys are fit Mets first Astros and CS. Uh, Mike Scott is accused for scuffing baseballs, right? Uh, he, every time there's a ball rolled to the dugout, you guys looked at it and like he was accused. So is it, you know, I, I saw Nolan Ryan in an interview talk about like substance and grip. As a pitcher, do you think it's fair that the pitchers are are not allowed to have grip? Yet bat gloves have changed since you're. You, I mean, you were a great hitter, right? So, like, look at the batting gloves that the guys are using today, or the grip that they have on the bat right now. And then uh, the pitchers are supposed to be in the Stone Age and not have any grip uh, for the baseball. So, uh, what is what is your view on you know whether it be sunscreen and rosin or spider tech? I think I think um, that's a great question. I think you know, obviously, everything in my opinion is about hitters. You know, when you build new ballparks, they bring the fences in closer, they change everything. They talked about earlier in the season and last year about taking the mound back a little further. All these different things, but when hitters are breaking records, hitting home runs, and all this stuff is going on, they love it. It's not talking about anything. And and you're right, hitters they get to use pine tar. They use the Manny Motor stick. They use all these guards on the arms so they can, you know, get close to the plate. Mm-hmm. And now, like spider tech, I never heard of that. I don't, I don't exactly, you know, exactly what that is. But I know it's something that helps the pitchers grip the ball more. And I think it should be something, maybe something that they agree on, the union and the player association, that pitchers have to use something. Because I know during the summer months, especially like now, July, August, or even the winter months, you know, April, uh, September, 12th, October, the balls, some balls are flicker than others. Some ballparks are rubbed up pretty good and some they're not. And so a pitch is definitely something to use more than just a rosin bag, something that they can agree upon and use. And I think that's only fair, especially now. And even if you want to go further, you talk about when I came to the league, you know, with the bats, you only had Louisville, you got Adirondack and um, uh, Rollins. Now you got, I mean, it's 100 different bat companies with the Maplewood and all the different stuff going on. Everything is to advantage to the hitters. So I don't think it's fair to the pitchers where they can't use something, something that they agree upon. Uh, it don't have to be something that's, you know, really legal, like, say, sandpaper or something like that, what Mike Scott was accused of using. Um, <laughs> and not to, I know he never got caught, but I pitched against Mike Scott several games and not to, you know, put him on blast. But a lot of those balls were scuffed in the same spot. So something was going on. <laughs> Well, the crazy thing is, and we do have some spider tech in the studio, and we, uh, we were using it last week. But to give you an idea of how sticky this stuff is, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I don't know how much you would actually no, want to fingers. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know if you could see me, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Wow. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. That's spider tech right there. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah is. Well, maybe, maybe that is a big That's a bit much right there. <laughs> but yeah, they oh, do. I 100% agree with you. They got to figure out something. And look, like the average pitcher is using like literally like not even just a little bit of this on on them if even if they were using it. So, but I do agree. It's been a vintage pitcher for a le- at least the last 30 years, and it's time uh, uh, the pitchers get a little bit help. You know? Yeah, so. yeah I agree. Even the playing fields, it's only fair. And I, I'm still – I could be a little biased. But I like the two-to-one ball games, the one-nothing ball games, all this 10-9, 9-8 ball games. To me, that's not baseball. So hopefully yeah. they get something and figure it out where you can even the playing fields where it's fair for both the hitters and the pitchers. One more experience I want to talk about real quick, and it's it seems as though the pitchers are not allowed to celebrate their victories yet. 
but the batters are allowed to, in Marcus Stroman, and I quote, do the Macarena when they get a base hit and go to first base. But I don't know if you watched the Pirates game this weekend. We were there uh, with the seven line, and it was awesome. But um, Marcus Stroman celebrated and was looking at his own dugout, and the batter got upset, uh, and, and it ended with the benches clearing. Yet, you know, the batter can bat flip, they can do whatever, but if the pitcher shows emotion, all of a sudden it's not allowed. Um, any any thoughts on that as the game evolves? Yeah, you're definitely right. And first of all, I want to say thank you to you guys in the seven line. All the support and having fans on the road like that is amazing. I went yeah. to um, even when the Nationals played the um, the Mets, the makeup game is on a Monday. I forget um the date, but it was a makeup game from the COVID, and I went down there and they had the DC Met fans, and that was awesome. I got to meet those guys. So what you guys do is really appreciated, and it's good to see. But to your question, you're right. You're seeing guys bat flips. Guys kind of watching the ball go out of the ballpark. And a lot of these guys, not even home run hitters that are doing this. And even like Tatis Jr., I mean, I love watching him play. I like the way he played the game. But I remember early in the season, he had a couple home runs off of Bauer. And, you know, he's got the way he's looking at it, like binoculars or whatever. He's doing the thing when Bauer was in spring training, where he closed one all these different things. I mean, obviously, it's a different generation now, and these things are allowed. But there's no way possible those things happen when we was playing because we definitely would have retaliated to that. And you're right. The hitters get to do all these bat flips, you know, stand there and watch the ball, you know, stand basically in the batter's box to the ball land over the fence, all these different things. But when a pitcher shows emotion, they say, oh, it's showing them up. You can't do this. And I was actually watching a game where Marcus did that when the guy hit the line drive to first base and Alonzo made the catch and um, it was some birds to change where Stroman is an emotional guy. He brings a lot of energy to the field, to his teammates, um, to the game. And you're right. He made the pitch. It was a big out. He got the guy out. And then it was some birds to change. I think right then, not to say you got to hurt a guy or anything like that, but the next game or even that guy come back up, you got to knock him down. I'm sorry, but you have to. I mean, baseball is still baseball no matter how the game's played. You got to protect your players. You got to defend your players, uh, play as a team. And when stuff like that happens, when a guy does that, and like you say, he's putting the bat, and then they even showed him later in the game where he got a base hit. You know, he can read his lips where he's saying a couple of things that probably you can't say on air um, because he's comfortable. You got to keep these guys uncomfortable, not necessarily hurt a guy or throw his head anything, but definitely let them know that as a team, we're not going to tolerate this and you're not going to be yelling at our players. I'm sorry. That would not happen to the 86 months. That's beautiful. That's, yeah. Couldn't have said it better. That's perfect. That's exactly what, what we want to hear. Oh, the, the old school, and I hate to even use the word old school way of thinking because it, it never should have went away in the first place. Yes. No, you're right. I agree with that because baseball, you got to play that game. And that's the other thing with pitchers. Uh, again, you have to pitch inside, especially now where, like you say, the ballparks are smaller, and even the new ballparks they're building, they're bringing the fences in. All the hitters got on, you know, the pads on the arms and all that, so they're very comfortable. You got to pitch inside and sometimes double up inside. I talked to young pitchers, and even when I was going to spring training watching the Mets as a fan, I'm talking to pitchers, sometimes double up inside. I like to see pitchers get back to owning the inside of the play a little bit more. Cool. Yeah, yeah I, I, we agree 100%. Now, you mentioned the, the ballparks that they're building. They're bringing fences in because people want to see the long ball, and that's obviously not pitcher-friendly. Back to your career, what was your favorite, and, and you can't say Shea Stadium or Yankee Stadium, but what was your favorite ballpark that, that you just loved playing in? I would say my favorite ballpark away from New York would have been Dodger Stadium. I love pitching in L.A. because the mound was nice and high. And it reminded me of Shea Stadium. They had great dirt around the mound. And what I mean by that was sometimes the, the dirt around the mound is kind of slick, but they had like what was kind of 
it's kind of I guess it wetted it down before games where you kind of stick. So for power pitches, when you got the high leg kick and you land, you kind of stick instead of your, your foot sliding. And plus at nighttime there the ball didn't carry as much, you know, because the fog was coming in off the hills. Um and being a flat ball pitcher, I love pitching there. But it's just a great place to pitch, um, for me, away from Shea Stadium or Yankee Stadium. And what about a stadium that you just you hated going to? Whether you had bad outings there or you just didn't like it, what was that that stadium for you? It was two, if I can, National League American League. Chicago is a National League ballpark. I had a lot of success in my career against the Cubs, but I hated pitching at Wrigley because day mile was just the opposite. It was a flat mile. And so most of the time they say flat miles are for the sinker ball pitchers, which I wasn't. Um, so I couldn't really get a good leg drive there. Um, I won a lot of 5-4 games or 6-5 games. I didn't like it. And then for the American League ballpark, it's definitely a metronome in Minnesota. I actually got knocked out of the first inning twice in that ballpark. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, I, I want to kick it to our producer slash uh, uh, creative guy behind it real quick and just see if they have any questions for you. It's Robin Sherm. Okay. So, uh, you guys, if, if you're there. Hey, Doc, uh, I just I, there's really only one question, and I'm, I'm really disappointed in these two guys for not asking it earlier because it's the most important question that you'll probably ever be asked in your life. All right. Yeah. Okay. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Yes. But, but, but here's the thing, though. It has to be from the Waffle House down south. I know they don't have a Waffle House in New York or up north. The Waffle House in Tampa, Florida is the best, I'm telling you. If you never tried hey, it. Hey, Doc, you're speaking my language now. I live I live in North Carolina, and uh, oh, I'm a frequent flyer at the Waffle House. Oh, that's, that's, that's my favorite. Those waffles are they're very consistent. They're always the same, and that's the best I ever had. The doctors never lied. Oh, that is awesome. Bert? I just wanted to ask, and uh, thanks so much for being on and doing this. Really appreciate it. And uh, oh, I just pleasure. want to ask, I mean, being from Tampa and growing up there, what do you think of the success in um, not necessarily baseball, but now Tampa Bay being dubbed like Champa Bay with the Bucks as well as the Lightning going back to back too. And I want to know your opinion on whether or not you think uh, what something like that could fly on the Hudson. Oh, man. You know what? Being from Tampa, I've been getting a lot of heat because I actually, you know, obviously playing the Mets and now they had a raise. And then I came to New York in 1984. And in 84, I became a New York Giants fan. And only because Bill Parcells had come to the ballpark, he was friends with David Johnson. And then I got to meet a lot of the players, which I'm still close to a lot of the players. So I became a Giant fan. So last year, I obviously got a lot of heat from my family and friends on the Buccaneers one. But being from Tampa, it's great to see what the Lightning is doing. And last year, almost had you know three teams. Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays. It was in there as well. And I'm happy to see them doing well. And Tampa's a great sports town. And the thing was funny. They said they didn't know if they can ever support professional teams here, especially when I was growing up as a kid. Um, the Buccaneers weren't that good at the time, and we didn't have hockey. And so now to see what the Lightning's doing, what the Rays are doing, and what the Bucks did last year, and like you say, celebrating. You know, in the water, I think it's great for Florida to do that because, you know, it's warm weather. They're known for the beaches or what have you. In New York, I don't think it's a good look, especially in the Hudson. I don't think that'll go too well. And I think it's better, you know, <laughs> having, having it in the city, you know, where the fans are more involved and you got the confettis going down and coming out of the windows, you know, in the high rise. And I think that's more impressive and definitely a lot of fun. So hopefully we get to see that in the near future back here in New York. Big time. I I have one last question. Number 16, I cringe whenever somebody other than you doesn't wear it. Have the Mets given you any indication that that number is going to be uh, 
retired and, and put it where it belongs. You know, you know, it's funny. Um, and not not to put it down blast anything, but um, Brody, who was the general manager, unfortunately, they let him go. Um, last well, let, yeah, during the offseason, they let him go. We had talked about it, and he said, you know, one day he would like to see that happen, and he'll try to make it happen. But unfortunately, he got fired. But that was the only thing I've heard about it. Um, it would be nice if I could if I see that. But the Mets, I guess you got to go to the Hall of Fame, you know, the big Hall of Fame for that to happen. I don't know. But um, maybe one day. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe with the new owner, um, Mr. Steve Cohen, they'll start making changes and doing things a little differently. But that would be awesome. That would definitely be truly, truly a blessing if that happens. Well, there's nobody who's wore blue and orange that, uh, you know, makes me smile more than you. Uh, we appreciate your time, Doc. Thank you, Uh Corey, you want to oh, go? Doc, Doc, I'm sorry. One more. We got we missed a question from a fan. Uh, Steve Ooh. Waldman oh. wanted to know because you said that you were a big Jacob DeGrom fan. And do you think he could handle pitching in your era? Would he be as dominant as he is now and as great as he is now? Uh, as Would he do, be doing the same things in your era, in your opinion? Wow. He's definitely a great pitcher. He's definitely a great pitcher. Real good on our stats. Um, as dominant, I think he'll be dominant. I don't think the strikeouts might be a little different because during that time, there's more contact hitters where he was into, you know, moving and running over, um, hitting the ball the other way, hitting the ball with his pitches, more contact hitters. It wasn't a little one guy going for home runs where now it's all about home runs where average doesn't matter. But during our time, there was more guys in the whole field, more contact hitters. So I think he would have dominated in every um, – yeah uh no it, it yeah definitely there's so many more hitters swinging for the fences now that the strikeouts are are, are balloon through throughout the uh throughout the wazoo right now so i i get it that yeah his strikeouts wouldn't be there but i, I yeah i i agree with you i think he would be dominant maybe he'd have more wins ironically you know like I think that's a, a definitely oh, yeah, yeah, definitely a strange Right. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. Maybe for a year, you see what a guy go through tough luck like that where the team's not scoring runs, but I've never seen that from three years in a row where teams just don't score when you pitch. I've never seen that. Nah. And then uh Corey, did you wanna yeah, so Germ, you if you can put it up, you you did have Doc, you do have a foundation. Uh, so we do want to give you a shout out on that. It, Germ, if you could put it up on the bottom of the screen, that would be great. Um, you have uh, the Doc Gooden found Dwight Gooden found family foundation. Uh, and it, it goes to fight hunger and saves lives for underprivileged communities. If you want to speak to that at all. Yes, um, it started. Um my, my kids talked about it and doing something. We talked about it for a couple years, we thought now's the time to do it and you know from all my ups and downs even doing great times i had a lot of support on and off the field and it's just our way of giving back and we said do i get in a family foundation where i like to get my all my kids involved my grandkids everybody involved so starting young i'm, I'm giving back and understand what's the um the importance of having a life if you can't have an impact on another's life that's who i was raised and this is what we're trying to do is just help those in need um in any need basically but basically but um, I'm very proud of my kids I've been involved with this. 
great thing to help those in need. Absolutely. So, guys, listeners, please check out it's uh, the Dwight Gooden Family Foundation, www.dwightgoodenff.com. Please, anything helps. Definitely help donate. Doc, amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. We, we, all of us appreciate it, even the people listening. And don't be a stranger. And, hey, we're going to be at a couple Met games before the season's over. So maybe we'll see you there. Wow. Sounds good. I look forward to seeing you guys at some games. I'm always there most of the time. And um, thanks, you guys, for having me and doing the show. You guys keep doing a good job. And thank you guys for all the kind words. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. All right. Thank you, buddy. Welcome to The Divide with Mike and Chris.